Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And I'm... Wait, I forget who I am. Wait. <laughs> It's early oh, for I'm, you. <laughs> I'm Mrs. Ian Punnett. <laughs> sure. Otherwise known as Ian Punnett. He's my husband. And what else are you, Ian? You're an author. You're a professor. You're a radio talk show host. Anything else you oh, want in your intro? Stop. Just there stop. No, I'm uh, uh, ordained in uh, yes. the Episcopal Church. I'm also a, uh, a world champion rugby player. There you go. That is all true. Or we could say this, pick the one thing that isn't true and just email me. <laughs> this is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful lives that allow us to fly. I think I even got my own intro wrong there. That's all right. That's <laughs> all right. I, I um, flustered you. You flustered me. It actually, that prepare us to fly. Uh, Ian is filling in for Elizabeth today because she's going to take a breath. Because as all working moms know, whether you're working outside the home or working in the home or doing both, summer is a bitch. <laughs> it's just Whoa. so it is. I'm sorry to start. Bitch to talk. the nest. We're gonna, <laughs> our subsidiary podcast. That's right. But she's taken a breath and Ian has agreed to fill in for our June watch, read, and listen. Uh so let's get to it. Yeah. I'm watching. I'm watching and I'm watching with you and you actually encouraged us. You picked it. We watched Dope Sick on Hulu. This is powerful. How many episodes would you say? 10? Uh, it was sm- No, I think it was shorter than that. And, it, it, you know, I should be very clear. I have to test drive everything I recommend <laughs> to Marjorie. So I won't recommend something until I've watched at least half of a, of an episode. And then right. When I know that she's going to like it, then I make a recommendation. And here's why. I am, as I've talked about on the podcast, picky, I'm picky and super impatient that if I'm going to spend my time doing something, I want to make sure I'm going to enjoy it. And we've been married. Which is so to- much fun to sit next to on the couch. Picky <laughs> and impatient. Because <laughs> I'll just start fidgeting or I'll start yeah. cleaning. If I'm and not enjoying start- something... I'll you start like hammering me with questions. What happens next? What does this person <laughs> do? What, how does this end? I don't know. I'm going to watch this. I yes. don't, I didn't... I'm going to patiently watch this, but we both really enjoyed Dope Sick. And yep. it's a series about the opioid crisis in the United States and how the Sackler family was essentially responsible for a lot of it. Oh, yeah. And um they ended up, I, we won't tell you how the story ends, but if you know anybody in your life that has been on Oxycontin or other opioid substances, the crisis is still happening. I think I just read in the New York Times, 100,000 people died last year from opioid overdoses. And yeah. so this is really the beginning of the opioid crisis. Michael Keaton will get an, at very least an Emmy yeah, nomination H. for this. Yeah. And I think he should probably win. He's fabulous. He plays a doctor that becomes hooked on Oxycontin, but it's just a, it's, it's so incredible. And you know, like anything, it's sort of, it's a mishmash probably of the truth 
but the story is true. Would you agree yeah, with I, that? Well, and I don't even know. I mean, I don't think they made up anything for the story. I think everything about it is based on uh, and would almost have to be based on uh, a verifiable fact, which right. are those are astounding enough as it is, especially right. when you consider – that the kind of death that people can relate to in the Twin Cities, not just people they know or family members, extended family members, but Prince, yeah. you know, who, who dies, who dies of an opioid overdose or and Michael Jackson's a little bit different, but he still experimented a lot with the opioids. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. And when I say that, like the, the character, which I found so powerful, the Michael Keaton character, he's not a real character. But he's a compilation of stories. Right. And so that's what they did. They created these stronger characters that help to tell the story. But like you said, I, I, I think what's amazing about it is the facts are shocking enough. And so you get a good dose of sort of fictionalization, but the facts are the facts about what happened and how many deaths and the crisis within families. That's all true. So it's what do you watch? It's a story well, well told. And, uh, and I'll add to the casting is just perfect beyond Michael Keaton. So, uh, what am I watching? Well, I don't know if you've heard of it, but I've been watching on Netflix. I've been watching something called Marry Me. Uh, with <laughs> not on Jennifer Netflix. Lopez. I, I don't think it's on Netflix. I think I it's, think on, it's on Netflix. Is it? I think it's on okay. Netflix and Amazon Prime. Okay. Wait, wait to embarrass me. I think it's showing everywhere. I you think wouldn't it's, what, watch a that. Great you, movie. You would not watch that if I paid you a hundred dollars. You would not sit down and watch the J Lo <laughs> Wilson marry you know, me. That, no. That's just not true. That's just uh, that is okay. unequivocal. What are you watching? True. What are you watching? Well, along with that, um, when when that gets too thrilling, and I need <laughs> to take a break from it, when it's one surprise after another, and I have to catch my breath. Uh-huh. Um, then I switched uh-huh. to, uh, another, uh, show called Ted K, which is on Hulu about Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. It's a story that's told entirely from, uh, based on his notes, his diaries, comments were made when he was arrested, all this other composite material. And it just really, if you pardon the expression, puts flesh on the bones of something, a story that I think a lot of people thought they knew about the Unabomber and about what kind of person he was. I, I didn't know half of this. And oh, interesting. He's, he, but it, it, it too is a romantic comedy. Um, Stop. when you think about, it. no, <laughs> no, it's one man's love for his cabin in Montana. There and how, but how all of it is really based on the idea that he just wanted silence. He wanted to silence the world around him. He mm. didn't want planes flying overhead. He didn't want traffic. He didn't want technology. He just wanted everybody to slow down and be quiet so that he could think. And that's and Ted K on Hulu. Hulu? Ted K yeah. on Hulu. Okay. Do you think I'd enjoy it? You've watched I know you would enjoy it. Okay. I know you will enjoy it. That but, might yeah. that might be next. I'm reading this month uh, a book called Crockett Johnson and Ruth Krauss, how an unlike how an unlikely couple found love, dodged the FBI, and transformed children's literature. This book, I'm reading it because I'm I'm trying to write a paper about children's literature, and 
this is one of the books that I was really interested in because one of my favorite children's books, when I was a child, I can remember it being one of my favorites, but also reading to our own boys is Harold and the Purple Crayon. And Crockett Johnson is the author and the illustrator for that book. This is the only biography that exists about this artist and his wife, who was also an artist. They together wrote something like 75 children's books. That's amazing. It's amazing. And you wouldn't, I think most people wouldn't even know their names, but what's incredible about it, I'm just in the first couple of chapters. And one of the things the author says is that the children's, so children's books, children's literature exploded in the sixties, like three times as many children's books were bought in the sixties. It coincides with the baby boom. And so, but at the same time, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, there were all of these writers were being, you know, outed as socialists and communists sure. and losing their livelihood. So a lot of those writers found a home in children's literature because as, as the author quoted, nobody cared about children's literature. They didn't right. think of it as literature. So these authors could sort of hide in that place and make a living. What was really interesting was like Langston Hughes. The beautiful poet Langston Hughes, beautiful writer, fired because he was suspected to be a socialist, found a home in children's literature and wrote six or seven children's books, which I have yet to look up. But this book is really interesting. If you're interested in children's literature or that period of history, it's Crockett Johnson and Ruth Krauss, How an Unlikely Couple Found Love, Dodged the FBI, and Transformed Children's Literature. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, and it's surprising the number of books that were really well camouflaged indoctrination into socialism or totalitarian communism, such as blueberries for a sow, which <laughs> at first blush is really just but about I, a girl getting blueberries, but it's really about a workers collective. Let's just face it right you now. Know what? It's about, That's so you're so smart. I never thought that the bear represents yeah, the Russia. Russia. Wow. Russia. Yeah, wow, from, sneaky sneak. <laughs> yeah, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. That oh is my God. the theme you are of Blueberries blowing, for Sale. You are blowing my mind right now. You are blowing <laughs> my mind. What are you reading right now? I am reading the book Marry Me, which is different than the stop? movie. Okay, it I is. did. All right, it's a everybody. Totally different, it's a totally different. It's interesting <laughs> because what? Okay, I watched Marry Me. I did. Yeah. I like it's, Jennifer Lopez. It's delightful. Stop it. You wouldn't watch but it. But it's either. one of those things where when I you're, did watch if it. you've read the book and then you're watching the movie, you go, that didn't happen in the book. What are you it, reading? Wait, she never stabbed him on stage. That didn't happen in the book. I mean, so. What are you, you know, reading? The, what am I reading? I'm what are reading, you reading? <laughs> some <laughs> academic journal articles about journalism and uh-huh. preparing for my fall semester. Uh, as a journalism professor and teaching um, intro to writing. And one of the things which I've been pushing for a long time is that it, it, journalism is, is a, can be kind of a, a bit of a runaway ego trip when people start to think of themselves as truth tellers and that somehow they're going to college to learn how to become truth tellers, which is not in the department of journalism that would be perhaps in the department of theology or philosophy, but that's <laughs> where in journalism, it's hard enough to collect facts. And what people mistake is that, you know, just because you found a fact, it doesn't mean it's the truth with even a capital 
T or a lower T, it, that, that's, they don't equate. They can over time. You can look back on it and say, aha, right. all of those facts over time that now we know that was the truth. But the best thing that a journalist can do is to uncover the facts that people need to be active members of a democracy and to vote and to be able to articulate their opinions. And the other piece to that is then journalists too often style themselves as storytellers. And one of these journal articles that uh, I've been reading with and highlighting feverishly uh, shows that the research indicates is that the public doesn't want their reporters to be thought of as storytellers, just be fact presenters. And you can, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. That that was the whole point originally as a, you know, when journalism became a social science as opposed to just a way to, you know, sell newspapers. And that I think is, I hope maybe the future we're seeing evidence of that in like News Nation or how um, CNBC presents its news product with Shepard Smith or how the head of uh, CNN has been saying, I'd like to get away from using inflammatory language that seems opinion driven and to really just focus on delivering facts. Yeah, I think that's a really good trend. I mean, everything in every industry is cyclical on how an industry performs, but it has been odd to me because I'm generate, you know, I'm a different generation who worked in journalism than somebody who's 22 right now or 25. Mm-hmm. And this idea of talking about when, when reporters are doing a story in the newsroom, you'll often hear them refer to the people that they're interviewing as their characters. And I, right. I just, I, I can't get my head around that. And so I'm hoping I'm going to miss that whole generation of people calling it characters and then just go back to these are the people in my story. But that's the the classic narrative structure of having a a protagonist and an antagonist, having a hero and a villain. And if you have one, you need to have the other. Even if one is only implied, it helps to move the story along and it helps to bring people into it. And in the end, very few facts may be delivered, but a good story was told. And that's that's not what perhaps we need right now. We need more facts. Yeah, we need more facts and people are just very clear about they're not trying to make those facts fit a narrative. They're just the facts. And I, right. I, I would appreciate that as a viewer. Uh, right now I'm listening to something so wonderful. Elizabeth knows this about me. You know this about me that when I find a song that I love and Elizabeth will always say, that the songs that I sort of hook into, she said it to me once when we did the show together. She's like, they're always so sad. You always just pick the saddest songs, but they're not really sad, but they do have a, a feeling to them. And right now I'm listening to a, a song called Could This Be Home by Susan Cowsell. And I have to give you the credit. My friend, Susan your, Cowsell. Your friend, Susan Cowsell. I have to give you credit for digging this song up because you got to interview not only Susan Cowsell, but the Cowsells on the radio show that you do a couple of times a month, coast to coast. And the cool thing about this is the Cowsells were a band in the 60s and 70s and still are a band. They're still traveling. They're still performing. Oh, but yeah. it, it's a family group that the Partridge family, the fictional Partridge family, was modeled after. Yeah. And so, but, but I've got to tell you, we watched a documentary. Tell me again where the documentary was, E. That's on Amazon Prime. 
and it's called, do you remember the name of it? Uh, Family Band. Family Band. If you have a chance to watch this, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a documentary. It's insightful. It's kind of sad because they talk about all the alcoholism and, and the abuse that the, the kids all suffered under their domineering father and, but, and, but in the end, the music just wins. Yeah. Because yeah, they're just so, they're talented. They're so talented. And Susan Kausel in particular, um, there are old clips that you were showing me on YouTube where Susan, you know, they're on like the Ed Sullivan show. They're on the, all these old shows. And Susan Kausel is just this cutest little thing, singing, playing the tambourine. But right. her voice is so beautiful. And so if you get Especially a chance. Especially as she it aged beautifully as she became a woman. Oh, yeah. Just Gorgeous. And so I'll link it up in the show notes because you'll want to watch this on YouTube. Could this be home is the song, but I've listened to it over and over and over again. I it, love it. It's, it's a terrific song. And, and the council's known for the rain, the park and other things. You know, I, I knew, I knew, I knew she would make me happy, happy. And then, you know, hair and then Indian Lake. And they were the uh, singers of the original theme for Love American Style. Yeah. And so, I mean, they had a run and it was a good run. Right. And then. Uh, it was fascinating how it all fell apart too at the same time. So that's yeah. my good friend, Susan Council. <laughs> Who you had a crush on when you were 11. As I told her, Partridge family be damned. The, it, it, Tracy Partridge and her tambourine work cannot hold a candle to a 10 year old <laughs> Susan Council. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what are you listening to? Uh, I'm listening to the soundtrack to Marry Me, which is so good. I'm just ignoring um, you. It's actually pretty decent because it's all J-Lo. Oh, it's not, well, it's all J-Lo, but who knew that she was going to cover uh, Motorhead's Ace of Spades, which I – what? You know, where did that come from? I don't even and know that, what you're talking about now. I don't even know what you're talking about. What are you listening uh, to? <laughs> I'm listening to Teddy Swims. Uh, okay, this is this cool. artist that I discovered by accident about a year ago, and I just – I'm upside down in this guy because – He's fully tatted. He's, uh, he's got like crunk teeth. He's got his, his whole demeanor belies the voice that he has that is essentially the second coming of Al Green. He is soulful. He does wonderful covers. If you're going to only listen to one song of theirs, um, of, of Teddy Swims, listen to, uh, Broke. Um, which I just love and, but listen to the version of broke that has, uh, Thomas Rhett, who's a country singer, uh, doing this kind of country rap break in the middle, which is outstanding. So I love Teddy swims and I think he's really, I mean, he's already, he's like a bigger star around the world than he is here. Sometimes that becomes a curse, but I think he's just one event, one record, one appearance shy of becoming a breakout star in the I think United you're States. Right. Yeah. I think so. you're right. It's his super music good. so super good and his covers are super good. But I'll link up in the show notes that that one song so you you all yep. can find it. Uh thank you Ian for filling in. Uh we may need you a couple more times this summer because we're gonna allow Miss Elizabeth to breathe through her summer and to breeze through her summer. So but put me you. in coach. I don't smoke. I'm ready to go. <laughs> If you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Jody wrote to us and said, thank you. By far my favorite podcast that I look forward to every week. I appreciate the variety of topics, clever ideas that enlighten my day and 
the all around happiness this podcast brings to my life. It feels like I am sitting down with a couple of girlfriends. I especially like your recent show called You Are Loved. I really like that episode as well. It's episode 300. I've listened to it multiple times and have been working on being present in my life. I never associated myself as an anxious person until recent years when I started digging deeper into myself. I am one of those people who notoriously stuffs all my emotions until I eventually explode, which is never pretty and all always filled with regret when the dust settles. So over the last six months, I've been learning how to be more present in life and not let my thoughts, frustrations, and worries control me. I've been dabbling with meditation during this time and I'm learning the benefits of turning inward to acknowledge my feelings. After, after listening to you are loved, it reiterates to me that there is truth to meditation slowing down and allowing ourselves to be mindful and present. I look forward to building a meditation practice in my life to build up my toolbox for life. A big heartfelt thank you to both of you for all that you bring to this podcast and our community. Also a special thank you to your guest, Kelly. I can't wait to dive into her podcast, Mindful in Minutes. Again, that was episode 300. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest. We are the podcast that brings you To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.